Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to the Dogcast, an official Matt Grace appreciation podcast. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and despite the Nat struggles, England continue to win in the World Cup, even on penalties. So I'd like to take a moment to say it's coming home. Joining me later on on the podcast from Sirius XM is Marlins reporter Craig Mish as we look ahead to the Marlins series. But first off, we look back at the Red Sox series. Obviously, they came the Nats part. They swept us, and it was pretty miserable. It wasn't so much the fact they were swept. The Red Sox are one of the best teams in baseball, but it was the manner in which they were swept. Having Rick Porcello hit a bases clearing double, yes, that did actually happen as much as it annoys me. Um, and then getting blown out on Tuesday and finally the offense just completely disappearing on Wednesday on the 4th of July, which was supposed to be a celebration. Uh, for player of the series, you may have guessed it from the open. Uh, we're going to give it to Matt Grace, uh, one of not many players to actually come out well from this series. Pitch four innings, one hit, no rumble, no walks, four strikeouts in relief. And you can't ask for much more than that. He, I remember he did it against the Padres last season, came in for a spot start when the natural rotation was struggling and did pretty similar. I think he went four or five innings of couple hit ball. So He's really turning into an unexpected long man for the Nats, maybe a lefty specialist as well, kind of doubling in two roles, a bit like we saw Yusmero Petit do, um, I think it was 2016. But having both sides there, especially with Tim Collins being DFA today, they're going to need Matt Grace for some of these lefty-on-lefty uh, -lefty matchups. But even so, having him double as a long man isn't the worst thing in the world. It's the one thing that the Nats bullpen has properly lacked uh, this season. You've got the likes of Kelly who will only go one inning. Doolittle's in the closers role. Madsen will only go one inning. Kinsler will struggle to go more than one, but he can. So having that there as a nice security blanket is great. Obviously, Matt Grace only came in because Eric Feddy had to leave after an inning plus with right shoulder information. He had an MRI after the game, showed no structural damage. Um, so I guess they're just going to see how it goes. There's been no further report than that at the time of recording. Um but the rotation's really, really ailing, especially with some of the struggles. For example, Tanner Roark got roughed up on Tuesday. Seven innings, nine earned, ten hits, two walks, and four strikeouts. And it's very odd that you see someone go seven innings and give up nine runs. If they've given up nine runs, usually they come out early. Um, Tanner Roark gave up the nine earned in the first few innings, and he just had to take one for the team, I guess. Uh, eat up those innings for the bullpen that obviously... Matt Grace pitched in that game and came out to pitch four innings, but potentially having Herrera, Doolittle, Madsen, Kinsler rested. Most of those appeared in the game when it was close on Wednesday and didn't come to fruition, I guess. And it's been a disrupting, or disturbing theme even. They've got the worst ERA for starters in baseball since the 1st of June with 5.79. And they were the best in the National League before June as well, which is particularly bizarre. They were, It was the part of the team that actually carried them to the best record in baseball in May when you had Scherzer dealing, Strasbourg still healthy, Hellickson was healthy during that month and was going those abbreviated outings that we've seen the whole time. Bad fantasy football player, but we'll, go, we'll come on to that in a bit. Uh, but yeah, Tanner Roark was pitching well and it was a strength. And now all of a sudden, Gio's struggling, Tanner's struggling, Hellickson's just come back, we're still missing Strasbourg. So... 
Well, Max Scherzer is even struggling. He's given up at least two runs in the last four outings, I think. And to be fair, it says a lot about Max that that's struggling. But it's definitely a concern, especially with the offense being inconsistently or consistently inconsistent, I should say. On Strasbourg, he did throw a 60-pitch bullpen on Tuesday. So he's got to build up that arm strength, maybe another bullpen or two, sim game type thing. Uh, and then head out on a rehab assignment. He's been out for about two month and a half now. So he's going to need probably two rehab starts at least before he can come back. So maybe sometime around the All-Star break, if he can throw another bullpen Thursday or Friday. Uh, and then he's got two weeks to get back. So that's something I could feasibly see. And that's a huge boost to this team. Where this team is at that point is another question. Um, we'll have to reevaluate around the all-star break. And it's one thing that I've been stressing on the Twitter account, if you follow District on Deck, um, is that right now, if you are thinking of trading away, which I think it's reasonable to think about at this point, you may as well wait until the all-star break. No one's going to go down in value significantly for a week and a half, especially someone like Bryce Harper who's been much talked about. I, don't, I think that's a separate case entirely. You want You probably want to keep him to sign him to an extension potentially, maybe just a one-year deal has been floated around. Um, but some of the other guys like Gio, Madsen, Kelvin Herrera, you might flip. Um, having those guys, you want to see where you are at the All-Star break. So they're not going to de decrease in value in that time. And you've got 11 games against teams under 500, albeit the way this team's playing at the moment. They're not likely to go on, say, eight, nine wins in that stretch. But you have that safety blanket just in case. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. On the offensive side of the ball, obviously really disappointing. Uh, one of the stats that I did notice was with runners in scoring position and nobody out, the Nationals have the worst average in the National League. Uh, only above the Texas Rangers in all of baseball, they have 213, and the NL average is 266. So it's kind of uh, it's showing that they're not building foundations for beginnings. We've seen, especially. Um, in some of the recent games against the Phillies and the Red Sox, they they go behind by three or four runs. They start chipping away like one or two runs. They they never have the big inning because they don't hit multi-run home runs, which I think is another thing that they're trailing in, the percentage of home runs that are multi-compared to solo. Um, and obviously you need those hits with runners in scoring position, nobody out, and that's what gets you those big innings because then you're starting to replace those scoring runs with base runners again. And yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot more to say than that. I think you can see for yourselves what the Nats offense is going through, and it's a struggle every time. You kind of expect them not to capitalize, which compared to the last few years where they've had one of the most dominant offenses in the game is a complete contrast. On one hand, they do have Anthony Rendon, who's still tearing the cover off the ball. He's got a seven-game hit streak now, hit a home run on Monday, one of the three solo shots, like I was mentioning before. They don't get enough runners on base for that. Um, but he's leading the team in runs, home runs, RBIs, batting average over the last 30 days. And the question comes back up, is he going to be good enough for an all-star? And they mentioned it on the broadcast that he's actually the best defensive third baseman in base in the National League. Sorry. So that's one of the things that Nolan Arenado has had over him for a while. Obviously, Arenado makes all the highlight real plays. Rendon's been making a few more of those this year. Um but obviously, he's stuck with that with Arenado and Chris Bryant. Can he overtake those? Maybe this is the year. Maybe someone looks favorably on him 
because it's his home all-star game, obviously. I think Arenado is going to be the starter at third base, and there's no no denying that. He's a fantastic third baseman. Give him all the plaudits he deserves. But then having Rendon as a reserve, we don't need him in the final go to get final vote again, please. Um, but hopefully he can be. It will be announced on Monday, I believe, or Sunday. So we'll see where that comes, but he certainly deserves it. Uh, and also... One interesting note is we did have Pedro Severino collect a couple of hits, got his first home run of the year on Tuesday, albeit in the later innings when it was completely irrelevant. Uh, but he also collected a hit on Wednesday, filling in for Spencer Keyboom, who was ill, who was due to start that game and catch Eric Fetty like he usually does. Um, but we'll see. Severino still hitting under 100 since the middle of June, middle of June or middle of May. It's been an awful stretch for him, and the defense has suffered as well so it's something that definitely worries me about pedro hopefully he can turn it around we saw uh each time he had to step up so when he stepped up when wheaters got initially injured he did well with the bat out hit miguel montero and played him out of a job and then when wheaters went down again and severino had to step up as the star he started hitting well he was hitting in the 280s at that point so there's hitting there he's not going to be that good but he's not going to be sub 100 batting average bad He's probably around 240, 250. Um, it's about what he hit in the minors. So hopefully he'll start hitting again, whether he's the long-term solution. Again, I think he profiled more as a backup catcher with that fantastic defense that we've seen all season. Uh, but if he can get back to that, you have Matt Wheat as starting, Severino as a backup. That's not a bad catcher tandem. Obviously, in the long term, you want to go out and get someone. Uh, we'll talk about JT Realmuto in a bit with Craig. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Severino. So joining me now on the podcast from SiriusXM, someone who does a great job covering the Marlins to look ahead to the series with them, is Craig Mish. How are you doing, Craig? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. No problem. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. I appreciate it. Uh, so like I just said, Craig's on to help us preview the Nets series with the Marlins. So, so far in 2018, the Marlins are 35 and 51. Uh just a side note, we're recording during the Marlins game on Tuesday, so that could change. Uh, currently bottom of the NL East, and it's not hard to see where they've gone wrong this year. They've scored the fewest runs in the National League, and they're also giving up the third most runs in the National League behind Cincinnati and Colorado. Is it uh, obviously coming into the year, everyone knows it's going to be this type of year. Uh, just kind of describe how the season's gone. Obviously, we saw a bit of it earlier this season. Yeah, I mean, I think right now they're in a position where with all of, uh, of the players that they traded in the offseason and kind of starting things over with a new owner and and kind of trying new things, building, developing the minor league uh, farm system and, and doing a number of different things that changed, I think, the view of the franchise. So I don't really think that the wins and losses come to a big surprise for me or, or anyone else really, because I, I think most people predicted them to lose close to 100 games. And I think there's a chance that they will avoid that. But the reality is when you're in this this sort of buildup, uh, the first year is going to be the toughest. And they've shown a lot of development with some young players and, and they've had some failures too. So I think kind of where we stand is honestly where I thought they would be. Yeah, it, it is pretty much. And like you say, um, they were expected to win 100. Maybe they're not going to hit that. But I think more importantly, it's looking at some of the players like Brian Anderson, Lewis Brinson, 
some of the starting pitching as well, making sure they're coming along this year. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag of that with the development. The most important uh, thing that I think that's happened for them in this in this start over is that they found a player in Brian Anderson. It looks like he's an everyday player in right field. You know, they have a number of players who I think two or three years from now out of the on a 25-man roster won't be there, maybe 20 players. I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot. These are all temporary players. But Anderson is definitely a keeper. He's played – uh, a very good right field. He was an adequate at best third baseman. They moved him to right. And for whatever reason, he's really caught on there. Uh, you mentioned two other players. Uh, you know, Caleb Smith was very good until he got injured. And with the kind of injury that he has, you hope that he'll be 100% for next year. But even he's overachieved. And then, of course, uh, Lewis Brinson, the third name you mentioned there, has been a disappointment. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, there, there have been some signs of improvement. But, you know, for me personally, at this point, I think you have to call it what it is. And, and so far, it's been a very big struggle for him. Yeah, I think with, with him in particular, the Marlins are one of the few teams where he's actually going to be allowed to just play out of these struggles and see what they have. Yeah, I, I really haven't seen this that often in Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I've covered this a long time where a player is, is allowed to, to play as poorly as him. And, and you know, he would tell you, it reminds me a little bit of the twins last year with Byron Buck, they, they really you know, kept him in, in the outfield because he was such a good defender and, and eventually he did turn it on for that second half of the season. You know, the thing that I wonder with Brinson is, and, and I don't have any doubt at some point he'll hit 20 home runs in the big leagues, you know, and, and, and he'll hit 240, 250, but what will his on-base percentage be? And really how I mean, do, do players go from what he's doing right now to become superstars. You know, that track record is not great for that. Will he be a good player in the big leagues? Yeah, I'm sure he will be. But, uh, you know, he, a lot of people in internally with the Marlins think he's going to be a superstar. I just don't see that. Yeah. Uh, so in their current series against the Rays, I should probably say, uh, obviously they picked up the extra innings walk-off win last night. Yadiel Rivera with the walk-off hit. Uh, JT Real Muto hit a home run in that one. We'll probably come on to him in a bit and they're looking like they may put a rally together in the bottom of the ninth we'll see about that uh, in a little bit but how has this Rays series gone I think the Nats saw firsthand that they're uh, they're a pretty tough opponent at the moment yeah the Rays have played so many uh, one-run games this season and I, I think they're the opposite of of the Seattle Mariners I think the Mariners have the most one-run wins and Tampa Bay has the most one-run losses so yeah I mean Anytime these two teams play, I mean, they're kind of a mirror image of each other in terms of the offense. They're just not uh, really great offenses. Um, you know, Tampa's a very big swing and miss team, and they'll hit home runs. The Marlins have played a lot of low-scoring close games. But uh, Miami was down in this game for nothing, and came back to tie it. And uh, that's kind of been their thing this year. They've been down in a lot of games and have come back. So I'm interested to see if that trend will continue all season or if it's just been lucky. Yeah. Um, and like we touched on, JT Romuto hit the home run on Monday night. And he's uh, one of the names that Nats fans are very keen to see in D.C. And um, I remember I've tweeted you before about this, about the Marlins potential price for JT Romuto. Is that still holding up? Obviously, one of the best catches in the game right now. And I think they have every right to demand the King's ransom. Yeah, they really are, and, and I don't I don't really see that changing anytime soon. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see how this this whole thing plays out, but 
you know, my guess is that at this point he'll be with them for the rest of the season because the asking price for uh, Houston is their two top prospects, uh, you know, Whitley and Kyle Tucker and the general manager of the Astros, uh, Vice President Jeff Luna was on my radio show saying they're not trading Tucker at all to anyone and don't call. So that was the end of that. I, I just I don't see it. And then with you know the Nationals, of course, that was the team that I reported last year as the team to have the main interest. And at that time, the Marlins uh, would only accept uh, Robles or Juan Soto. They would have taken either player, from what I was told. And then you know and, and the Nationals at that point could have had JT. Uh, they the Nationals chose not to, and it's kind of funny when you think about it because we thought Robles was the one that they would never give up, and maybe Soto, you know, as a possibility for for JT. And look at it now, how that's flipped. I mean, you would never trade Juan Soto in a million years for anyone on any team. I mean, this kid's a superstar, and now um, you know the Nationals will get back Robles, and let's assume he'll be the same, but. Boy, man, if I'm Washington and I have a chance to, to get JT Real Muto, I don't know how I don't do that for Robles. But, you know, a lot of people love Robles. I'm sure he'll be a star also. Yeah, I, I remember writing um, a couple of, well, more than a couple of articles saying maybe they should look to deal Soto. He's got, I think everyone knew the hit tool, but then the plate discipline's translated. He's even brought more power than everyone thought. And obviously he's not moving. Um, Robles is it's a weird one. Like you said, he was the one to watch. Um, and kind of the injuries derailed his season. We might see him up in, or might have seen him up in DC already, were it not for that injury. So I think they're still going to hold on to him. If they've held on to him this long, they may as well hold on now rather than sell low. And it does make sense because we don't know what Harper's going to do next year. And I totally get it from the Washington Nationals perspective. But it's, you know, the more, I mean, look, I think, um, you know, the, the third player who, you know, is maybe the third best player in the uh, Nationals organization, uh, Carter Kyboom, I think he is going to be a star, too. Uh, I mean, he's I think he's going to be great. He'll be playing in the Futures game. Um, I really don't think the Marlins would make that trade, but uh, you never know what will happen in the offseason. I mean, in July 31st, probably not. But in the offseason, I think Washington and Houston have to watch this really closely. Because in my opinion, they'll offer JT Real Muto a contract extension. And then will he take it? I don't know. If he does not, I, I think he's going to have to be traded by the Marlins. And I think that Houston and Washington are going to be those two teams. Uh, I, I heavily believe that those two teams will be the favorite. Yeah, I think that that's the key part in all of this. Will he sign an extension? If he won't, then the Marlins are better to get some in now. And like you say, in the offseason, maybe with a few more months of Carter Keboom producing in double A, maybe triple A at that point. I don't think he's going to be up with the big league team this year. It's not a one Soto case. I think Soto's a kind of the exception of the rule, given his plate discipline and all that. Carter Keboom might come up and be potentially overmatched. But like you say, at that point with the ascension he's had, I know a lot of prospect lists are now having him well inside the top 50. So is that something we should definitely keep an eye on this off season? Uh, you know, I, I can't say for sure. I don't know. I mean, that I would have to be under the assumption that any contract that, uh, you know, that the Marlins offer Real Muto will be declined. Um, you know, I can't say that for sure. I don't know. And and I'd have to know what the Marlins would be thinking as, as far as trying to sign him. Um, if I if I had to guess, and you know, this is just my opinion, not fact, if if they were to try to sign him for anything that was close to not 
one of the best paid catchers in all of baseball, he would say no, in my opinion. I mean, and if I was him, I would say no. He is the best catcher in the game. And and there, I don't think any kind of hometown type discount would get this done. He'll be a free agent in a couple of years. He'll still be very young and arguably better than he is now. So, uh, you know, the Marlins would have to seriously consider trading him if he did not uh, have that extension. Because if they go down a road like the Orioles did this year with Manny Machado, uh, they may end up doing okay. But the Orioles should have identified this at least a year ago and traded him. It makes no sense to go down this road with any great player. Hmm. Are there any other names on the Marlins that Nats fans should watch out for as we come towards the trade deadline? Well, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Um, you know, the first thing is, is you know, the relievers are being talked about a lot publicly. But, uh, you know, again, this is the kind of situation where Miami is going to want back very high end prospects for Kyle Bearclaw, uh, you know, Drew Steckenrider. And I think Adam Conley's name was mentioned. And honestly, I, I don't I just am not really buying any of it at this point. So, uh, you know, between the two teams, I'm not really sure if there is a fit beyond that. Would Washington be interested in in Dan Straley? I know the pitching has gone south uh, quite a bit uh, for the Nationals outside of Scherzer. So maybe he would there would be a possibility there. But really, to be honest with you, the only match I see is is the um, is the catching position. And I think that that's really something that the Nationals will have to attack. I don't know if they're going to at this point. In, in order to get over the hump, they may have to do something like that because they're going to be fighting with Philadelphia and Atlanta all the way to the end. They never saw that happening, but that's where we're at. I think it is more trying to squeeze in the wild card at, at this point. I think it's it's a precarious position for the Nationals right now, sat at 500 after the loss to the Red Sox on Tuesday, and maybe it's not the time to go all in for a Real Muto fight. I, I yeah I wouldn't if I was them. It's the same it's the same situation with that I hear about when I'm online and um and on Twitter with people talking to me about the Cardinals. I talk a lot about the Cardinals because I cover them, and and fans clamor so hard for so many changes and so many new players. But you're a game or two over 500. You may not even make it, and you're mortgaging the future for the present. And I think the Nationals are in that position too. The future is so bright. These two outfielders next year. Um, Luis Garcia also in the minor leagues are just stacked. The international program they have is phenomenal there. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't go crazy if I was them either. Yeah. Uh, back to the upcoming series. Now we've, uh, <laughs> we've covered the trade portion of it. Uh, yeah. Are there any under the radar names that Nats fans should keep an eye out for in this series? Uh, on the Marlins, um, you know, JT Riddle, their shortstop, has, uh, has gotten hot as of late. He's swinging a real hot bat. That's probably somebody that you wouldn't think that would come in hot um, and have a great series, but he definitely is a possibility for that. You know, the young kid that's going to pitch on Thursday against Washington, Pablo Lopez, is a great story. He um, he lived in a, a town in Venezuela many, many years ago. It's so hot in the city that he lived in that the umpires couldn't umpire the game. They would pass out from standing there. It's like the hottest place in the world to live. It's It's crazy. Um, and he made it out, learned how to speak phenomenal English, and is such a nice kid. And this is somebody that I think that is going to be uh, a Marlin for a long time. Um, so keep an eye on Pablo Lopez when he pitches Thursday. He looked really good his first time out. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him have another good game on Thursday. Yeah, he was the guy that they acquired from Seattle in the David Phelps trade. That's exactly 
exactly right. He's turned run average of anyone in double A this season up until the point that he got called up. So, you know, he and Sandy Alcantara, the Marlins are hoping are, are, are cornerstones of that rotation in the future, maybe a two and a three, a three and a four, something like that. I don't think either of them uh, are aces, but I mean, certainly they could develop into them. They're not right now, but they're hoping that those two can stand pat. And, uh, you know, Alcantara got, is not going to pitch in Washington because uh, he was just put on the DL. So it looks like uh, Lopez will be the main one. And, and, uh, and then we'll see what, ha- what the Marlins have for you guys Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking at the matchups. I think it was yesterday, and Alcantara was projected to pitch on Thursday, and I was quite looking forward to that. I've had my eye on him in fantasy league for a while with the Cardinals and Marlins as a really good pitch yeah. coming up. And yeah, I think- that was that was disappointing to hear that today that that he has uh, an infection in his uh, in his underarm, and it was it was affecting him in in the uh, in bullpen sessions. So you know they're in a tough spot. They had to put him on the DL because they have. Jose Arena, their other pitcher coming off the DL. I don't think that he would have been sent down and, and had he not, you know, he went to the DL here. I, I think he would have just stayed right in that rotation. And now he's going to have to wait to come back until Milwaukee next week. And so the rotation, I think, as it stands, on Thursday night, it'll be Pablo Lopez. And then uh, Friday, Dan Straley. And then, um, you know, you guys, I guess, will go from there. You see a combination yeah. of uh, Chen and, I guess, Richards. Yeah, that's... Uh... Pretty much exactly how it lines up. Um, but are there any nationals that you're particularly keen to see? Obviously, we talked about one Soto in the build-up, uh, and he's been a, at the top of a lot of people's lists who have come on the podcast. Yeah, I, I am. In particular, um, is uh, Jeremy Hellickson is, is one that I'm looking forward to seeing because he's such a bad fantasy football player. I just wanted to get, that. <laughs> I, just, I just, I just wanted to get that in here in the end. Um, no, but, but I, but I, and hopefully he can have a healthy season the rest of the year. He's been good uh, for the nationals, but, um, what I really would like to see is I would just, every time Soto comes to the plate, I think it's like an event at this point for me, whenever I, I see it online, I want to tune in. So, um, I saw him in spring training. It was incredible when people told me about him in March and this was, I think, even before the games were going on or the first week, and I didn't know a lot about him other than from what I've heard. And you understand, going to the backfield of a minor league facility to see a game, there's like 10 people back there, and I was one of them. And I decided I was going to video him, and he hit a home run in the minor league game I was at. And I'm like, wow, this guy is going to be a star. Somebody, to go see, somebody told me to go see him, and he hits a home run in front of me. And that was pretty impressive. So uh, he's become one of my favorite players, and – you know, back when these trade talks were going on and Soto was a possibility for the Marlins, I hated the idea because I really didn't know a lot about him. And all I heard is that Victor Robles was so good and I couldn't have been more wrong about Soto. So um, at 19 years old or 20 years old, the Nationals just have so much to be excited about. And and who would have thought that a couple of months ago? The worry was what happens if Bryce Harper leaves? And, and I think that that's obviously going to be an issue, and there's no doubt going into the offseason. I don't know if they'll keep him or not, but <laughs> Soto does soften the blow. I got to tell you, he's great. Yeah, no matter how many times people mention he's 19, when you watch him at bat, it just goes out your mind with the, the plate discipline, taking close pitches, and everyone still marvels about this two-strike approach where he widens up, flicks it the opposite way, and he's still hitting home runs that way. I think he's hit seven of his nine off the top of my head, to the opposite field, which is just remarkable. He's he's one of the best players in the game. I mean, that's it. I mean, he is going to be 
uh, you know, probably the best hitter at his position. He won't be a phenomenal defender, and he won't he won't uh, he won't run. We know that, but in terms of just hitting, uh, there there aren't going to be many. I mean, he reminds me. I guess it's it's a tough comparison, but he is really a JD Martinez, more or less, of the National League. It's probably what he'd end up being. Right. He could end up hitting forty home runs and driving at one hundred twenty, probably as soon as next year. And you know, I, I mean, you know, JD doesn't play a ton of defense. He plays some. Some people say he's average. Some people say he's below average. I think Soto's young and he can be an average outfielder. But there's no doubt in my mind that he is going to be that. And in fantasy next year, I think he'll be, if not a second-round pick, a third-round pick, maybe even a first. He's, he's going to be incredible. Yeah, I remember trying to acquire him the day, I, the day he was called up before he took an at-bat. I think I tried to – I sent about two or three trade offers for him. <laughs> trying to, yeah, I, trying I to tweeted him. that out. I tweeted that out when uh, Kendrick got hurt. I went on Twitter and I said, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen. And I really, I, I don't know. I doubt it. But there's, you know, Juan Soto's sitting there in double A. <laughs> like maybe by some miracle, if you're at your computer, just pick where your phone, just pick them up just to see. You know, and, 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 and who knows? And he got called up. And I, I just, it's just, it's stunning to me. But he, yeah, uh, he is, he's a great future and uh, for the Nationals for sure. And, if the, if the Marlins could have ended up acquiring him and giving him uh, JT Romuto, my how things that would have been so different. I mean, the Marlins would have a superstar. <laughs> yeah. uh, so now we're going to look ahead to each matchup individually in this series. So starting off on Thursday at 7.05 p.m. Eastern, we've got Jeremy Hellickson against Pablo Lopez, both we've talked about in the Open. Hellickson 2-1 with a 2.63 RA, and Pablo Lopez only the one start so far, 1-0, Three ERA. His only start against the Mets: six innings, six hits, two earned, one walk, and five strikeouts. Um, how do you see this one going? It seems equally matched with two kind of underrated pitchers. Uh, right. Well, you know, I said that. You know, remember, Hellickson can't play fantasy football a lick. <laughs> so, so that would really affect his performance in in the game on Thursday night. Uh, but, but truth be told. Uh, Hellickson, he has been phenomenal against the Marlins in his career. I, I mean, he is, over the last few years, Philadelphia just crushed him. Uh, and these were on uh, Marlins, good teams. In fact, the Marlins were thinking of acquiring him in one season where they acquired Andrew Kashner instead. And I wanted them to get Hellickson because Hellickson, the Marlins couldn't beat him. So um, it's different now. Look, there's a lot of different players on the Marlins. And he probably hasn't faced um, them as much as he did the other guys like Stanton and Yelich and Ozuna. But I think it'll be a close, low-scoring game on Thursday night. I think Lopez will pitch well. I think Jeremy will pitch well also. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Hellickson's 4-3 and three with a 2-8-8 ERA in 12 starts against the Marlins, obviously. He's amazing against them. Yeah. He's, he is just – he has dominated them, and I hate to give him any credit at all. Uh, <laughs> that's but, that's but, the revenge <laughs> for the fantasy football comments. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. So there you uh, go on that one. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think it will be close. I think, um, I don't know, I, to toss up. I might might go with the Nationals just probably because of bias, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that, that'll be a competitive game. That's a mm. game that the Marlins will have a chance to win. Uh, but yeah. I, would t I would tell you also now what is in um, the Nationals' favor is that uh, on uh, we're taping this on Tuesday night? Uh, Kyle Barraclough threw a number of pitches in in the game Tuesday night, 
going into Wednesday's game, Brad Ziegler's pitched, I think, two days in a row. Stecken Riders pitched two days in a row. So unless the Marlins get eight innings from Jose Urania on Wednesday, they're entering that game Thursday with a with needing some help from their from uh, starting pitching. So we'll see. Yeah, two extra inning games does no bullpen any good. No, it does not. <laughs> uh, on Friday, it's Gio Gonzalez against Dan Straley. Gio Gonzalez six and five with a three seven seven ERA. Dan Straley three and four with a four seven zero ERA. And throughout his career, Gio's managed to dominate the Marlins, similar to Hellickson. 10 yes, and 3 with a 1.85 ERA in 16 career starts. So do you see that continuing on Friday? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a Washington favored game right there. Uh, left-handed pitcher. Marlins have struggled against lefties, even though they're right-handed. Um, you know, Justin Bohr is their best left-handed uh, power hitter. Derek Dietrich is also left-handed. Um, so it, it does make sense. And I think that Dan, Dan uh, Straley is going to give you six innings and give up three runs pretty much every time to a man or go seven innings and three runs or eight innings and two runs. Uh, but some runs are going to be scored, and unfortunately, some of them come off the home run. So if the Nationals get anybody on base, there's that chance for a two- or three-run home run. And I'm, I'm probably at this point say both pitchers again pitch well, but I think that the Nationals will win this one. Yeah, I feel like Dan Straley is kind of the Marlins version of Tanner. Maybe not the Tanner Roark of late for the Nationals, but not this Tanner year. Roark, yeah, the Tanner <laughs> Roark that we've seen previously. He'll always give you absolutely. that quality yep. start. Absolutely, but not this year. And 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 I think that Straley has been has been good. He's gotten himself into trouble in the early innings and just keeps grinding it out. And that's what he's known for really throughout his career. In fact, there there's some sentiment that the Marlins may not trade him because who else are they going to pitch in the second half of the season? Like they, they would, they call up all rookies to pitch. They're all on pitch counts. They're all on innings limits. And Straley may serve to hold more value from the Marlins as eating the innings in September and October. Um, well, yeah, it, they're, they're really going to need someone. And, and if they trade Straley, I mean, that's, that's fine. I'm sure they'll find someone to, to pitch and start, but they really don't have that many options in the minors that, aren't on innings limits yeah and i guess the other the other type or the other factor is in this type of a rebuild does the contractual element come into it this soon compared kind of going into 2019 yeah yeah that's that definitely factors in it, it changes a little bit in september but these two teams are going to look very different i think um you know come the very end of the year the, the marlins you know will, will have called up players and traded players but they're playing very competitive right now, and I'll expect a competitive series. Yeah, definitely. It's not going to be – I think we saw it in the last series that it wasn't going to be easy. Um, and kind of on that topic, on Saturday, it's Max Scherzer against Wei Yin Chen, another one at 7.05 p.m. Eastern. Max Scherzer, 10-5 and five with a 2.16 ERA. Wei Yin Chen, 2-5 with a 5.55 ERA. And we actually saw Max Scherzer's worst start of the season against the Marlins. Go figure. Six innings, seven hits, four earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. So, are the Marlins going to be test? Well, is Scherzer going to be tested by the Marlins again? You know, Scherzer also had a no hitter two years ago against the Marlins, <laughs> and that thing just exploded. And the Marlins ended up winning the game. I think getting no hit eight in the third into that game. So it's been mm -hmm. kind of weird the relationship uh, with Scherzer against uh, the Marlins. And I and I saw Max's uh, last start, um, but. Let's be real. 
<laughs> it's Scherzer and Wagen Chen. I know Chen had a great time, a great start out last time. There's no possible way that I could side with the Marlins on this one on Saturday. You aren't the first person to come onto the podcast and say, well, I kind of like our picture, but it's Max Scherzer. <laughs> yeah, there's just no, there's, there's no, uh, there's no value there, unfortunately. And, and Chen has pitched well his last time out, but he has just not been what they needed, unfortunately for them. And, um, you know they'll they'll just have to ride ride the contract out that they have with him and and hope for the best. Hope to get five innings from him, six innings time to time. Yeah, as long as he's not hitting any three RBI doubles like Rick Porcello did. You're right, <laughs> Scherzer. I saw that. That was the reason they lost. Yeah, that was. I, I'm still speechless at that. It was. I so remember bizarre. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was quite stunning. Uh, and then to wrap up the series on Sunday, we've got Tanner Ark against Trevor Richards. Tanner Ark three and ten with a four six zero ERA. Uh, Trevor Richards two and five with a five zero six ERA. I believe he started this game that's still going on now. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, the figures don't look great for Richards. Um, what can that fans expect from him? Yeah, he he is. Um, I, I think he probably would have been optioned if Alcantara was healthy. But he's not, so he'll have to stay in the rotation, at least for the time being. He's got a lot of early runs game after game. He looked uh, very good in his first audition with the Marlins earlier in the season. He hasn't looked as good this time around. So um, this would be a close one for me, but you know, even with the Roarg not pitching well, the Nationals are a better team. I'd probably uh, you know, think Washington would have a good shot in this one, but a lot of things can happen between now and then. Yeah, I noticed that Richard's get, he's getting hit. Pretty hard by right. He's 327, 905 OPS. Um, but I guess the issue for the Nationals here is that some of your best hitters are left-handed with Eaton, Harper, Soto. Um, does that matchup potentially help Richards? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. He, um, As you said, he's been getting really hit hard lately. So, um, you know, and I don't know how much uh, confidence, you know, honestly, he's a, you know, he deserves to be in the big leagues, but he, he, in the early innings, he's just not pitching with a lot of confidence. Uh, and I don't know if he needs to go back to the minors or there's something he needs to change. He just doesn't look like the same guy. So the reward doesn't look anything like he looked like last year either. But that being said, the game is in Washington. So it's, it's kind of hard for me to say here that Richard's going to throw seven shutout innings and win. Yeah, I think Roark's been a, it's been a strange one. He started pretty typical Tanner Art, like we were talking with Straley, pumping in those quality starts. And then of late, it's just fallen off the rails. On Tuesday, seven innings, nine earned. He it's a bizarre stat line. He kind of had to end up taking one for the team when they were nine, nine two down in the third inning. Um, right. I don't think I've ever seen anyone have that many runs in seven innings. It was something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, – I mean, that's, that's the thing with the Nationals is that I just never would have thought the pitching would be an issue, but – <clears throat> Excuse me. I think they need um, Strasburg back now. I didn't think that they would, but <laughs> they kind of do. It looks like they need him back to the rotation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think that pretty much wraps up our Marlin series preview. I want to say thanks to Craig for joining me today. He's been a fantastic guest. Uh, and where can our listeners find you and your work? On Sirius XM, uh, XM87, Sirius 210, Sirius XM, Fantasy Sports Radio. Perfect. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. So that wraps up our podcast for this week. Remember, check out some of our content. Sean looked at whether the Nats should consider building a Super Bowl pen. He suggested going out and 
getting Zach Britton. Obviously, the Nats' nose have some friction, but it's something that could happen there. I believe that the Nats and O's could make a trade. There'd be a premium for sure. Um, but it's something that could happen. And I also looked at a different closer, Rizal Iglesias, who the Nats were linked to this week. They have been in touch with the Reds over that. John Heyman of FanCred Sports mentioned Matt Harvey as well. Uh, that kind of died down with some of the Nationals beat reporters reporting that they're not interested in Harvey, but they have been interested in Iglesias, and we'll see where that goes. Remember to follow us on Twitter, District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. Follow us on Spreaker, iTunes, and Google Play. You'll get episodes automatically downloaded to your phone. We'll be back at the weekend with a trip to Pittsburgh on tap for the Nationals as they continue a crucial run of uh, games against teams under 500. We'll see how they come out of this Marlin series. They need something to go right. A sweep could get them back on track, but uh, maybe uh, me being optimistic. We'll see you then. 